Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. For some reason, Elon Musk has decided to change the name of Twitter to X. And people are pointing to uh, his plan to try to do this with PayPal or something. He wanted He's trying to build like a... Uh, like a Chinese version or an American version of the Chinese platform WeChat, where, you know, all of your personal information, your shopping habits, your uh, your bank account, like everything is tied to this one account. So this way the commies can can shut you down at any given moment uh, for speech they don't like. I don't know what could go wrong with Elon's idea. So I'm not a fan of the idea to switch to this new name, x.com. I'm, I'm not a fan. I think, you know, the brand of Twitter, you built the brand, the brand, not Elon, but the, the company has built the brand. The brand is what it is. The word, you know, when you tweet something, I mean, even the word thread, you know, the thread, that's all, that's all part of the same vocabulary that comes from Twitter. And it's like, it's like if, Windex or Magic Marker or Kleenex were to say, you know what, we're just going to start calling ourselves something else. Why would you do that? Your brand is synonymous with the thing that it is. Quote an old WBT host, I'm no marketing genius. Oh, no, he would say he is. So I'm no marketing genius as a former WBT host uh, is and was. uh, But even I know that this is a really bad idea. It's just a bad idea. Um, on the last hour's topic of the, uh, the Chinese fishing cities and the, um, uh, the Chinese, uh, saboteurs coming across the border into America, uh, this from Beth, she says, Pete, your story about destructive Chinese international fishing practices brought to mind a news story from the recent past about turtle poaching that has a local angle. I know you don't like to open links. That's true. So look up a story. About a year from about a year ago, Raleigh News and Disturber. Man caught hundreds of endangered turtles in North Carolina for sale to Asia. Okay, I think we need to have an international conversation about the really wacky things that that Chinese people eat. Right? Have you seen like the stores? They eat all these things, and everything is like some sort of uh, uh, like natural aphrodisiac has to do with sex drive or something like, like all of these really wacky things that they, they chow down on. Um, it, it all has something to do with giving them powers. We need to have a conversation. How about this? All of the people who want us to eat bugs, right? You guys are constantly pitching this idea to eat bugs. I have an idea. How's about you pitch this idea to China first. You tell them it has all sorts of, Sexual mystical powers for them, even more potent than uh, than the the seafood that they're eating, um, and you know, and then it, and, and then you solve the bug thing, and you solve the overfishing thing. You're welcome. I'm a giver, and I'm all about solving the world's problems. It's what I do, like three hours a day. I mean, I would do more, but the shift is just noon to three. So, 
Uh, speaking of the fishermen, some New Jersey fishermen might help to kill off the Chevron Doctrine. Do you know what the Chevron or Chevron USA Inc. versus Natural Resources Defense Council Inc.? It's a ruling from 1984. And the end of this bureaucratic tyranny could be in sight. Dan McLaughlin, writing a National Review, says the Supreme Court has been explicitly asked to overrule Chevron. The request, the case, not the company. But I mean, it's based on the the lawsuit came from the company, but everybody calls it Chevron defense now. So the request comes in a uh, in a brief in a case called Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo. Raimondo. I think Raimondo is one of the secretaries of something, one of the cabinet members. Former Solicitor General Paul Clement, one of the nation's leading appellate advocates, is the lead lawyer for the petitioners, or the plaintiffs, if you will. They're petitioning the court. In a case that has been brought by a group of New Jersey herring fishermen who want you to stay on to- on topic, on focus here. They're not trying to distract you from anything. Just want to make that clear. They're New Jersey herring fishermen. They're being represented by the Cause of Action Institute. The fishermen challenged a federal regulation that could force them to surrender 20% of their earnings to pay for at-sea monitors on their boats. So these devices that they attach to the boat, when they go out to sea to fish, and it monitors, I guess, however much herring they're catching or something. Cause of Action Institute lawyers say the case is a classic David versus Goliath story, pitting working stiffs against the might and power of the federal administrative state and the constellation of K Street lobbyists and lawyers who make the big bucks ensuring that big companies can navigate the rules safely, representation that ordinary fishermen cannot typically afford. Right? I talk about this all the time. Whenever you start getting into the credentialing of people to do business, licensing laws and such, Usually you end up seeing the the big players in a in a particular sector. They're usually on board with these types of licensing requirements and they'll help to write the laws for the licensing. Why? Because they can afford to comply. The little guys cannot. And this is actually one of the arguments um, uh, pertaining to the Section 230 of the I forget what the the Federal Communications Code or whatever about are the websites, uh, the social media sites, are they publishers or not, right? Same idea here. There's a reason why Facebook is is saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, Okay, yeah, we can help you rewrite that. And we'll be happy to comply with all these regulations because they know it crowds out competition against them. Now, this case of the New Jersey fishermen may not kill Chevron. But it could seriously limit it. And the court may decide that salvaging what is left just isn't worth the effort. Chevron holds that courts, this is what the the Chevron deference is, is about. It says that courts should defer to the agencies, to the executive branch agencies, administrative agencies, when those agencies interpret ambiguous rules of law. So, if, right, so the agencies will say, okay, well, the government, this is uh, Obamacare, right? Classic, right? That the Health and Human Services Secretary shall do this, shall do that. So they turned it all over 
to the agencies to write, to the bureaucrats to write all sorts of rules and regulations because the lawmakers can't be bothered. So they just offload the responsibility. That's how it manifests itself now. But a lot of times the laws were written and lawmakers thought that at the time that they had, you know, written pretty solid law. But sometimes it was ambiguous. So when it was ambiguous, the Chevron ruling said, well, you could leave it up to the agencies to determine what the meaning was. And this is why you've got the back and forth over whether sex is gender or gender is not sex. You go back and forth on this depending on which um, party holds the executive branch. Right. This is why uh, I, I, I always joke, you know, sex is not gender unless, of course, it needs to be for the left to advance whatever it needs uh, to advance at any particular time. This is why they will uh, flip flop on this question. They'll say, oh, yeah, uh, civil rights law, when it says when it says sex and race, sex means also gender identity and sexual orientation, even though the lawmakers that wrote the law said, no, sex meant male and female. But what the administrators in the bureaucracy want to do is redefine sex to include gender identity and sexual orientation. So this way they get to sweep more people up into the protected classes, even though the law doesn't say that it's been abused. It's been abused. It was actually at the time it was passed in 84 conservatives thought it was a win because it freed the Reagan-era agencies from the overweening activist rulings of liberal judges on the D.C. circuit. But it's inconsistent with our constitutional system in which it is the courts and not executive agencies who are responsible for saying what the law is. McLaughlin writes, the rule has bred exceptions too numerous to make sense of. And I just gave you a couple. Ilya Shapiro, he's a constitutional law expert. He uh, is with the Manhattan Institute, and uh, he has filed a brief in this case. He says that the family-run fishing businesses face a fraught environment even before the intrusion of burdensome burdensome regulations. Uh, The National Marine Fisheries Service promulgated a rule for herring boats that sweeps in most businesses. If a vessel needs a monitor attached to it, and hasn't been assigned one under a federal program, then it has to pay for one itself. And four family fishing companies sued, saying the rule is going to have a devastating impact on the herring fleet, and it disproportionately hurts small businesses, destroying historic communities. The district court ruled for the government. It also found that um, if the statute were ambiguous, the government's reading would be reasonable under Chevron. The D.C. Circuit Court affirmed that. Now it's going to the Supreme Court and the Manhattan Institute experts, they are, and their lawyers argue that the court should overhaul the Chevron deference regime because this experiment in rebalancing the relationship between administration and judicial review has failed. Now, I suspect that that language is intentional because that's what they were talking about with affirmative action. They were talking about it with Roe v. Wade, that this, this regime has failed. Whatever intense it had at the beginning were not accomplished after decades of uh, of attempts and so we need to unwind it so i think that's why they're making this argument uh i do have i do have some emails here um jan says oh uh when you were in canton did you stop at bearwater brewery 
We did not, uh, when we were in Canton this weekend for the Heritage Life Skills event, which is put on by Carolina Readiness Supply, um, and I was a participant in the event, but uh, no, I did not stop at Bearwater this weekend. But I have been to Bearwater Brewery, and um, it was in, yes, the, uh, the piece that I mentioned the other day, The Last Whistle, which was done by Tim Boyum over at Spectrum News. Uh, he went out there because the Canton Mill closed down a couple of months ago. Uh, and, and I covered this. I talked to Corey Valencourt, who I knew from when I was working up there. He's a reporter at the Smoky Mountain News. And um, Jan says, uh, I know several folks who used to work at the mill who are now at Pratt & Whitney. Right, So that's uh, one of the manufacturing companies that's set up in Asheville. And then there was another one, GE Aviation. And they spent uh, the local government spent a ton of money to get them to locate there as well. So that's where a lot of the people... There's also a big Eaton plant that's there. Um, Jan also says, Please, oh please, if you do any kind of a story on the cocaine sharks, please use Casey Jones as the intro to the bit. It has been bugging me all morning that no one is doing this. <laughs> yeah, Apparently the sharks are eating a lot of coke off the uh, shores uh, where they run the drugs and such. And then they get a taste for the sugar. You can't call it. Well, I guess you could do. All right. Or because they're eating it, they're not snorting it. Because you, you, they call it booger sugar. And the sharks have nostrils, but do they have the boogers? I don't think they would. I think there's too much salt water solution running through the area. You know? It's like a constant neti pot. I bet that's why fish don't get a cold. Earaches, too. Although I don't think they have ears. So that probably solves that. Anyway, let me get back to the uh, the series of tweets here from Ilya. Sorry, the series of X's. See how stupid this sounds? Musk. All right. Ilya Shapiro, constitutional law expert, talking about this uh, case brought by a bunch of fishermen out of New Jersey against the federal government. And they are they are directly challenging the Chevron deference, which has allowed bureaucrats to basically make up rules if the law doesn't explicitly state something. And so what the Manhattan Institute, where Ilya Shapiro is, uh, where he is employed and or is a fellow there, uh, he and along with the lawyers there that have submitted a, a brief in this case, they're saying, look, this was tried back in 84 and it, it's an experiment in rebalancing the relationship between the administration and judicial review, but it's failed. It has led to agency overreach, haphazard practical results, diminution of Congress, right? It was intended to empower Congress by limiting the role of the courts, but Chevron has instead empowered agencies to aggrandize their power to create extant plausible under operative statutes and, uh, statutes and beyond. Courts, in turn, have become sloppy and lazy in interpreting statutes. It is a vicious cycle of legislative buck-passing and judicial deference to executive overreach. Chevron def uh, deference rests on the presumption that Congress won't overdelegate and that agencies will be loyal agents, but 40 years have shown that Congress loves passing the buck and agencies are principals who pursue their own interests. Right. It's one of the things the founders never banked on either was Congress being willing to give up its power to the executive branch. And look, I've been beating this drum for almost 20 years, 
It's one of the reasons I was a Rand Paul guy in 2016 is that he was the only person talking about reigning in the executive branch as president in 2016. I hear Vivek Ramaswamy is saying this. Ron DeSantis is saying this now. I hear, uh, I think Tim Scott has talked about this. Donald Trump, nah, a little bit. But he was in there for four years. And he had opportunities to do this to a greater extent than he did. This is like this is my main issue, is, is executive overreach. Because Congress has abdicated so much power to the executive branch. I do not want a king. But apparently a lot of other Americans disagree with me. Oh, and before I forget, have you got your ticket to the Heritage Life Skills event yet? I'll be there. The annual event is put on by Carolina Readiness Supply, and you can learn all sorts of ways to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables. I'll be there Saturday evening. Check out the schedule at carolinareadiness.com. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness can help you. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Hey, Pete, the rebranding of Twitter makes complete sense. Now the Twitter files become the X-Files. That's Oh, man, I got to rebrand that now, too. Come on. No more Twitter files. The X-Files, that's just... They already have a... That already means something else. You can start publishing the X-Files, although actually... No, that's actually pretty on-brand for the TV show, The X-Files. The stuff that we learned from the Twitter files, that is pretty on-brand. Yeah, right in that wheelhouse. Jeffrey Blair at National Review, he says, friends, allow me to introduce you to a legal scholar that you might otherwise be unfamiliar with. The person's name is Mark Tushnet, professor emeritus of law at Harvard University. Tushnet is no. You think, it, uh, you think it's Tush? I'm going with Tushnet. Tushnet is notable as one of the leading lights of the critical legal studies movement, most known for spawning the subfield of critical race theory. So don't worry, it's just an obscure academic theory, not the sort of thing that insinuated its way into your child's educational formation over a decade ago while you weren't paying attention. The basic intellectual approach underpinning critical legal studies is namely that laws are imposed by society's economic and racial winners to encode their privilege uh, and are thus owed zero judicial deference if they are deemed to uphold oppression by the sorts of intellectuals and activists who call the tune of the times. Right? That's what this guy is uh, most notable for. In 2016, uh, he published a single piece Hang on a second. Tushnet is thus notable as the man who galvanized the conservative legal community in 2016, like few others, by publishing a single piece on Yale Law Professor Jack Balkin's blog. Uh, The blog is called Balkanization. And Tushnet wrote a piece, and it was called, quote, Abandoning Defensive Crouch Liberal Constitutionalism. Do you remember this? Defensive Crouch 
you remember that? Started making the rounds, 2016 election cycle. And it prompted like the Federalist Society. It prompted uh, conservative uh, uh, lawyers and judges and stuff to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it focused everyone's attention on 2016 as being pivotal to protect the courts, right? It remains unique, almost unique in the legal world as a viscerally salivating manifesto of anticipated legal retribution. The plans they had for us, if Hillary had won, and Scalia, Ginsburg, and Kennedy had been replaced by progressive jurists instead. He laid out the plan. The six bullet points in this plan. Number one, a jurisprudence of, quote, wrong the day it was decided. This would have been their standard that they adopted. Liberals, this is what he advised. Liberals should be compiling lists of cases to be overruled at the first opportunity on the grounds that they were wrong the day they were decided. That, that was the first bullet point. All right, leftists, get a bunch of litigation together because you're going to argue wrong the first day was decided. To overturn all these laws that we don't like and put in place the, uh, the framework for the progressive utopia. Uh. The culture war, number two, the culture wars are over. They lost. We won. That was bullet number two. Don't treat them in any other way except losers. Losers. That's what they are. Number three, he said, aggressively exploit the ambiguities and loopholes in unfavorable precedents that are not worth overruling. This is an explicit strategy. Exploit loopholes. Number four, remember that doctrine is a way to empower our allies and weaken theirs. Number five, our models are Justices William Brennan and Thurgood Marshall, not David Souter, or John Marshall Harlan, and finally, um, bleep Anthony Kennedy. Okay, so Jeffrey Blair, National Review, says it is hard to overstate the shockwaves that this piece sent through the conservative legal landscape. So, that was 2016. You'll be pleased to know that Tushy is back. He is back just in time for 2024. And he is raising eyebrows, as Tushies generally do, again with his most recent piece with Aaron Belkin. This one's called, quote, An Open Letter to the Biden Administration on Popular Constitutionalism. It's a new phrase, everybody. Popular constitutionalism. Guess what it isn't? Constitutionalism. Right. No prizes for guessing what it means. It's a euphemism for arguing that Joe Biden should just ignore the Supreme Court altogether when it issues a ruling opposed to the Democratic Party policy priorities. That's it. I mean, he uses a lot of words to say it, but what he's saying is, be our king, Joe. He says that uh, Biden needs to restrain MAGA justices immediately. He says he needs to announce that the administration will be guided by its own constitutional interpretations. This is what Tushy says. We have worked diligently over the past five years to advocate Supreme Court pack, I'm sorry, expansion as a necessary strategy for restoring democracy. Isn't that interesting? You have to pack the courts in an undemocratic fashion through appointments, right, in order to protect or to restore the democracy, which apparently is now lost, which is weird. I, we lost it. 
It's I I didn't know it was gone because you don't restore something if you still have it, right? Although we continue to support expansion, the threat that MAGA justices pose is so extreme that reforms that do not require congressional approval are needed at this time. And advocates and experts should encourage President Biden to take immediate action to limit the damage. The central tenet of the solution that we recommend, popular constitutionalism, is that courts do not exercise exclusive authority over constitutional meaning. So screw that whole Marbury v. Madison thing. What did they know? In practice, a president who disagrees with the court's interpretation of the Constitution should offer and then follow an alternative interpretation. If voters disagree with the president's interpretation, they can express their views at the ballot box. This is one of the founding uh, uh, thought leaders of critical legal studies. Critical race theory came out of that, CLS. And the guy is arguing for Biden to become a supra-legislator. And this guy teaches law at Harvard. The guy needs to be disbarred. If he's a lawyer still, he needs to be disbarred. This is so antithetical to the foundational principles of the country. It's a tyranny of the minority, a minority of one, the president. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. From the mail sack, uh, this says, Pete, uh, I hope this article you are reading is from a parody account. This is so scary. The scariest part is that I know several progs, progressives, Uh, who would blindly promote this and demand everybody be happy about it. Sadly, no, uh, this is not a parody. This is, yeah, I mean, this is actually what they are proposing. Um, Jonathan Turley, is that where I was at? Let me see here. Yeah, Jonathan Turley at thehill.com. He says, the left has come to embrace the authoritarian language and logic of segregationists in calling for defiance and radical measures against the Supreme Court. They are embracing the logic of segregationists. I wonder if they even hear themselves. All right, so here we go. I got two quotes for you. Quote number one, I shall resist any illegal federal court order. Statement two, The court's interpretation of the Constitution is egregiously wrong. And the president should refuse to follow it. The first quote is from Alabama Governor George Wallace, the segregationist, and the second is from those progressive professors, Tushnet and Balkan. Balkan? Yeah, Balkan. In an open letter, Harvard Law Professor Mark Tushnet and San Francisco State University political scientist Aaron Belkin, sorry, Belkin, 
called for President Joe Biden to defy rulings of the Supreme Court that he considers, quote, mistaken in the name of popular constitutionalism. It's a brand new term, everybody. I mean, and of course, of course, it would take somebody out of the critical conscience or a, a why am I drawing a blank on this last name? Oh, my goodness. This is what happens when you get old. Critical consciousness. I almost said conscientiousness, and that's definitely not what it is. Critical consciousness. This whole Marxian, Hegelian dialectic, right? This pedagogy, all of that crap. And it's coming out of that same strain. Of course it would come from somebody in that school. Of course it would come from the guy who created critical legal studies from which critical race theory emerged, right? Of course it would take somebody from that school of thought to come up with this term that means the exact opposite of what it is, popular constitutionalism. And by the way, you know what his idea of popular constitutionalism uh, constitutionalism is? It's what he wants, and he thinks everyone agrees with him. And the ironic thing is that he chose the affirmative action ruling as their case study, as the example, something that the majority of Americans do not agree with him on. He's using, right, so he's taking the minority view, saying that that's popular constitutionalism. It's not popular, nor is it constitutionalism. Thus, in light of the court's bar on the use of race in college admissions, they argue that Biden should just continue to follow his own constitutional interpretation. But polls have consistently shown that the majority of the public does not support the use of race in college admissions. Even if they were popular. It wouldn't make it right. Tushy and Belkin cite with approval Biden's declaration that <laughs> chocolate, chocolate chip. <laughs> no, he says this is not a normal Supreme Court. They they quote him as saying that with approval, like oh check out Joe dropping a hammer. Biden's view of normalcy appears to be a court that agrees with his fluid view of constitutional law by which he can forgive roughly half a trillion dollars in loans or impose a national eviction moratorium without a vote of Congress. Tushy and Belkin know their audience. Biden, they're talking to Biden, right? It's a direct message to Joe. And Biden has shown little respect for the Constitution or the courts. Look at the case of the eviction moratorium, right? Court said, unconstitutional uncle joe go sniff somebody else's hair biden wanted to reissue the national moratorium the white house counsel most legal scholars all said uh yeah that's unconstitutional don't defy the ruling of the court and he did anyway he consulted the only law professor willing to tell him what he wanted to hear and then he did it anyway and it was again declared unconstitutional other commentators and academics have gone from implied to open contempt for our constitutional norms. Where are all those so-called never Trump norms protecting conservatives? Where are they on this? We need to vote for Joe because he'll he'll restore our norms. This? This is restoration of the norms? In a New York Times column, the Constitution is broken and should not be reclaimed. Law professors Ryan Dorfler and Harv, uh, of Harvard and Samuel Moyne of Yale called the Constitution to be radically altered to reclaim America from constitutionalism. How absolutely absurd these people are. And dangerous. See, and dangerous. That's the key. It's nice to know, this is Dennis, isn't it nice to know there is thousands of teachers throughout our country that follow the same liberal manifesto as the Harvard teacher you sampled? That's why we need to support Parents Initiative to fight this.